Well, again, good morning. Welcome. So glad that you're, you're here with us. My name is Nathan. I'm the campus pastor here at the Olathe campus of, of Christ Community. Uh, and what a, what a great story uh, to be able to talk through uh, together this morning. Uh, according to, to Webster's Dictionary, a write-off is something or someone uh, regarded or conceded as a loss. Let me give an example. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, I took uh, several days of solitude uh, to pray and study and plan. And upon returning, like when I was on my way back, uh, my wife, Kelly, she uh, left for the week to be gone back home with her family for her grandmother's funeral. Uh, and, and so we just kind of passed each other. And so I had, I had four days of absolute solitude, perfect, quiet, and peace, to Seven days uh, of being, you know, the, the single dad of a five and seven-year-old. Uh, it's an awesome transition. Uh, you should try it at some point to go from, yeah, it was, it was a little bit shocking. Um, but, you know, things started off and it was, it was okay, right? Um, I, thought, I thought it was going to be under control. I was juggling all, juggling all the details. And, you know, by the end of that first day, I'm thinking, come on, I, you know, I, I got this, Right. Uh, until the drive home. So we were, we were out with some friends, and uh, we, were, we were driving back. It was already past bedtime. It was a school night. My bad on that part. Um, but we, we started to, to merge onto the highway, and my car started making noises that no car should ever, ever make, right? Refusing uh, to accelerate cars, you know, whizzing by going 70. And, and the kids start freaking out in the back seat. Uh, I start freaking out in the front seat uh, and realize, you know, this... Maybe, maybe this is how it ends, right? I mean, it's just, it was sort of one of, one of those moments, and I, I knew there's, there's no way we're getting home, at least not with this car, as I, you know, shuddered to a stop in the dark. So my wife's in Florida. Our good car is parked at the airport, of course, conveniently. Uh, and, and meanwhile, like, 20 panicked questions are being hurled at me from the back seat, right? They, they have no idea what's going on. They know my car's old, but they are, they are freaking out in every way. And I, at this point, I'm just trying hard, really hard, not to introduce some new words into their, into their vocabulary. Um, trying really, really hard. I figure one of us had to stay calm, right? Um, yeah, that was, that was the hardest part of the whole deal, actually. Um, but to, to make a long story short, okay, so you can picture that at night. Uh, we got home, called a friend, et cetera, et cetera. Um, went back the next morning to have it towed. Um, my 17-year-old car, I've had it since college, you know. I, I know, I know, right? I, got a, I, I literally got a little teary, okay? Um, we, we've seen a lot together. Um, mechanic took one look at it and, and promptly, promptly offered me $200 for it. That is what you call a write-off, okay? It's a loss, something or someone regarded or conceded as a loss. And honestly, at the end of seven days without my wife and my family, I was the write-off in my house, without a doubt. And and the the Samaritan woman, okay, we just heard the first part of her story, just a tiny little tidbit at the beginning. She was nothing if not a write-off. We do that with people, don't we? Just sort of dismiss, discard, despise. For example, have you ever heard of Rosario Butterfield? 
I've read her book. Uh, There's also an article not too long back in Christianity Today, uh, and she describes herself as someone that just about any Christian would easily dismiss, would easily write off. The title of the article uh, is My Trainwreck Conversion. And the subtitle, as a leftist lesbian professor, I despised Christians. Then I somehow became one. And she writes, stupid, pointless, menacing. That's what I thought of Christians and their God, Jesus, who in paintings looked as powerful as a Breck shampoo commercial model. As a professor of English and women's studies, on the track to becoming a tenured radical. And then she describes some of the interactions that she's had with Christians over her days. Many of them arrogant, self-righteous, some of them way too political. And worst of all, just completely dismissive of her. In fact, in fact she, she writes, oh, I'd, I'd seen my share of Bible verses on placards at gay pride marches that Christians who mocked me on Gay Pride Day were happy that I and everyone I loved were going to hell was clear as blue sky. Sometimes I'm so ashamed to be a Christian. Not because of Jesus, God, no, of course not. Because of us. And and the worst part is, honestly, I know that I'm, I'm just as bad. I do the same thing. I, I write people off all the time. We, we all do, don't we? And we, we just sort of dismiss, right, these, these people that God made who bear his image for whom Jesus died, and we just, eh, just push them off, right? They're too low down, too far gone, outcasts, sinners, whatever you, whatever you want to call them. And I know I do it. And maybe you sit here this morning, and that describes even how you feel a little bit. Maybe, maybe you think to yourself, you know, if the, if the people in this room knew me, if they knew what I've done or what I deal with, they would write me off. I mean, sadly, we Christians are pretty good at creating outcasts, aren't we? Or, or maybe, maybe you sit there and, you, and you've, honestly, if, you're, if you think about it, you, you've, you've already written yourself off, maybe. You know, perhaps, perhaps Jesus, he intrigues you, but you just think, you know, there's no way I could ever believe this stuff. There's no way I, I could ever... I, there's no way I could be forgiven for what I've done or actually, actually change. And, and so whether, whether you shamefully write people off or you sit here this morning feeling like the biggest write-off, this story is for us. I, I love this story. And if you remember anything from this morning, let it be this. Don't write off who Jesus runs after. Don't write off who Jesus runs after. So we're still in the Gospel of John. Okay, We've been there the last few weeks together. We're taking these eight Sundays in John uh, to look at these encounters Jesus has with people who are outside of, of faith, right? Who, who, who don't believe, but they're, they're encountering him. And this morning, Jesus listens to the outcast. And we're going to tell this story. You can, you can follow along in John chapter 4. It's really, really long. It's 42 verses. John gives, I mean, you think about it, right? He's writing this in a scroll. Paper's hard to come by. He gives 42 verses telling this story of this woman, this outcast, this nobody. 
And so we're, we're going to tell the story. We're not going to read through all of it. Um, but as we do, we're going to, you can follow along if you want, and we're going to break it into three sections, okay? Uh, we're going to start with the write-off, uh, then the run-after, and then the revolution, because everybody had written off the Samaritan woman. So if you think about it, she's the exact opposite of, of Nicodemus, okay? He's the guy that we talked about last week. He's the, the religious Pharisee. Nicodemus has it all together, right? He's probably wealthy, powerful, deeply respected, morally righteous. I mean, he uh, would have been, like us, right, somebody who's probably an expert at writing other people off. And then, right after that story, there's Sam. We don't even know her name. Unknown, unloved, unwanted, powerless, poor, and sinful. There's not a single person in her culture who would have respected her. The lowest of the low. So, chapter 4 begins, and Jesus and his disciples are headed north. Okay, they're starting off in Jerusalem. They're, they're headed up to Galilee. In order to do so, they have to travel through the sweaty armpit of their world, Samaria. They hated Samaria. And in fact, so much so that scholars said that some of the more pious Jews would have actually taken the long route around Samaria so that they didn't have to you know, be contaminated with those people in that place. But Jesus, I mean, John's an eyewitness of these things. John tells us that Jesus, it was necessary for him to pass through Samaria. And so it's about noon when they get there, this town of Sychar, and Jesus is tired. And when they arrive there, Jesus sits down by a well. The, the disciples had gone into town to grab some lunch for all of them. Uh, here's a picture of, of the well. You can still visit it. It's Jacob's well. It was famous then, believe it or not, right, 2,000 years ago. Uh, and it's still famous today. There's a church sort of built around it. But this is the place where, where Jesus gathered there to get a drink of water. What's interesting I mean, Jesus is thirsty, says that, um, but he feels, he seems a little bit unprepared, doesn't he? Because he, he shows up, this well is still over 100 feet deep before he hit water, and he shows up at the well for a drink with nothing. He doesn't have a bucket, a jar, rope, anything to be able to, to, get, to get his water. Feels like he could have planned a little bit better, right? Unless, you know, of course, he had something else in mind, and so He's there, and this Samaritan woman walks up. And he does what any of us here would think is just the most natural, normal thing in the world. He asks her for a drink, right? It's hot. It's the desert, for crying out loud. It's noon. She has the means to get a drink. She's drawing water up anyway. So, of course, he asks her for a drink. It seems reasonable. But even she is shocked that Jesus would do this. Look what, look what she says. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me? A woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Why is she shocked? Because she's a write-off, and she knows it. You see, culturally speaking, she has there in the moment, she has three strikes against her, okay? In that culture, in that day, three strikes. First, she's a woman. Uh, And in that day, right, no self-respecting Jewish man would have initiated a conversation with a, with a, a stranger, a female stranger. It just wouldn't have happened. There's no way. 
In fact, some, of the, some Jews would have, would have said that for a rabbi, and Jesus is being called rabbi at this point, that for a rabbi to have a conversation with a woman, even his own wife, was at best a waste of time. Okay? Just saying. That's, that was sort of the, the cultural feel right there. And sometimes people say that the Bible is, is anti-women. And the reality is, in that culture, Jesus is the first feminist, isn't he? Without a doubt. And so that's... That's his first strike. Jesus is a mind that she's a woman. That, that's, that's strike one. Strike two, she's a Samaritan. That means that she is, she is racially unclean, an outcast. Hey, yeah, just, yeah, nobody, no Jew would have, would have wanted to, to interact with a Samaritan. Let me give you a little history there. Because this, this outcast thing had been happening for about 700 years. It's a long time to, to despise a people group. And, and the funny thing is, Samaritans were originally Israelites. They, they have the same uh, ancestry in that way. The, the Samaritans lived up in the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, the northern kingdom, when that Israel had, had split, the, the capital was Samaria. But in 722, 721 BC, the king of Assyria and his army came and swooped down and and destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. And he took many of them captive. And and per status quo in that day, when you conquered a nation, you mixed everybody up, right? So they lose their identity. They lose who they were, and they wouldn't be able to to rally against the empire. And so uh, some of the Jews were forced out, and some of the other people that the the Assyrians captured were forced in. And the Jews and the non-Jews in that region intermarried. And they had little Samaritan babies, which would have been their racial slur. It's a big deal back then. And not only that, not only would they be racially unclean, but also religiously as a Samaritan. Because the, the Samaritans, they, they kind of picked and choose what they, what they wanted out of the Jewish religion. They didn't, they didn't believe in all of the Old Testament, just the first five books of Moses. Uh, they even built their own rival temple in 400 B.C. on Mount Gerizim. That's going to come back in the story in a little bit here. Um, but they, they did that. And so there's this, there's this great divide. And, and so this woman is deeply unclean in any Jewish mind. And for Jesus to drink out of her bucket would have made him unclean. And yet he asked her for a drink. That's strike two. Strike three, she's a sinner. Big time. Like, not just like your run of the mill, but like big time. And it's only, it's only subtle in the parts that we've read so far of the text. It comes out more in a, in a minute. Uh, but essentially here we see that she comes to the well alone at noon. And scholars point out that that would have been really unusual. The heat of the day, most women would have gone together in the morning to get their water. So there's, there's a good chance that even her own people want nothing to do with her. But she's, she's discarded, unwanted, even by those who are also Samaritans. And it comes out later that, I mean, a good reason why they would have in their, in their minds, but she's already been through five husbands, this lady. Uh, and the guy she's living with now is not her husband, and that would not have been acceptable in any ancient culture. So in everybody's mind in her world, she is at the bottom of the barrel. Everybody's mind, but Jesus. Now let me just ask, a little playful little game, what if she had walked into Christ's community this morning? I mean, not her exactly, right? Because we're not hung up on the same things that they were. But what would be our equivalent? 
who have you written off? Oh, maybe a Muslim woman wearing a burqa walking in. Um, a young man and his partner. Maybe parking next to a car with a very different political bumper sticker than yours. You've got your list, don't you? Who have you written off? People who look differently than you, act differently, dress differently. Maybe, maybe people who just, they don't live up to your economic standards, right? Or, or your parenting standards, or your moral standards, or whatever standards you've, you've carved out for yourself. We all do it, don't we? I mean, come on. I'm not the only one. Who have you written off? And what's, what strikes me here about Jesus is how he identifies with her. You can't write off who you identify with. Because think about it, right? We've got we to step back out of the story. And even just like, who is Jesus, right? Who does John believe Jesus to be? Who do we believe he is? John clearly believes he's the son of God, right? The creator of the universe, the God of everything. And here in this story, he is tired and thirsty in need of something from this woman. Isn't that shocking? That our God would willingly subject himself that low where he would need some, something from this, this person. But he does. Our God, he identifies with us. Our God became a man. He knows what it's like to live on this planet, to walk in this flesh, to, to know our, our needs and our desires, our hurts and our pains. Our, our God identifies with us. And when, when I dismiss people, it reveals a whole lot about who I think I am, doesn't it? I mean, maybe more than anything else, right? It reveals what I think about myself. Because deep down, I think it was pretty easy for God to save me. I mean, I know he had to die, you know. But for me, he probably enjoyed it, right? It's very easy because I, I, mean, I haven't done that much wrong and I got most of my stuff together and it's so easy to slip into that. But, but those people, dang, okay? Take a miracle to save them. The reality is if we can't identify with the outcast, we don't know the gospel, do we? I mean, really? Because if there's anything we believe as Christians is that, is that we, we were such outcasts, separated from God, alienated from him by our sin, that our hearts are so dark, that our lives are so broken that the only way the God of the universe could rescue me from my stuff is by sending his son and dying on a cross for my sins and then raising again. I was that far gone. It is a miracle that God rescued you. And it's a miracle. If you're a Christian, it's a miracle that you gave your life to Jesus. This unseen God from so long ago, right, who walked this earth, that we believe these words. I mean, don't underestimate the miraculous in your own story. And yet, we get over it so easily, don't we? I've heard it said that one of the marks of a true Christian is that they never get over their salvation. They never stop being surprised that, that God could actually save me, that he could actually love and accept me, even with what I've done. Are you, are you still surprised that God would do that for you? And if you struggle to identify with the Samaritan woman, 
or, or whoever it is you happen to discard. I think what happens next makes all the difference. For me, it does at least. Because Jesus then, as, as the story continues, he offers her the exact same things that I long for. It's no different. The, the exact same things that I, I, building my life on that I'm trying so hard to get. He, he says, here, take this. And he runs after her. So go back to the story for a sec. So she's like, are you sure you want me to give you a drink? And I love how Jesus responds because he's kind of like, lady, actually, if you knew who I was, who I am, when we talk about breaking off social customs, you would have asked me for a drink and I would have given you one. Unthinkable, right? For a man, Jewish man to have done that. And not just that, I, I would have given you not just, not just water, but, but living water. And, and it, would, it would have welled up within you like a spring and overflowing, he says, into, into eternal life. And you'll never be thirsty again. And she totally misses it. She's like, great, I hate coming to this well. This bucket's heavy. Uh, it's hot out, so hook me up, Jesus. I mean, that's, that's her response. And I mean, Jesus, he's so patient, right? Uh, but, but she totally misses it. She doesn't know that what Jesus is offering her. He, he thinks it's just, she, just, she thinks it's just a moment of, of satisfaction. It's just a moment of, of quenching, uh, not this, this, this eternal joy of, of satisfaction, this, this well, this spring that he's offering to her. And the reality is everybody here wants to be satisfied, every one of us. Every one of us wants to believe that our lives are worth living, that it's worth getting up in the morning. We, we want to know that there's joy and hope and, and meaning in our lives. Every one of us lives to be satisfied. Back in the Old Testament, prophet Jeremiah is his name. He refers to God as the fountain of living waters. But he says that all the people, they, they keep choosing to drink out of broken cisterns. Things where the water's not fresh, where it's not lasting, where it doesn't help. But again, she misses all this. And Jesus, he's, he's patient, right? Um, he's also pretty direct at this point. Because it's kind of like he's like, okay, I get it. You don't understand the living water, the satisfaction. I realize it was pretty cryptic. So he, he goes someplace a little bit more practical in her life and basically just says, so, you know, maybe, um, maybe you can go get your husband. And we can all just kind of talk about this together. Wouldn't that be nice? Um... I don't exactly have a husband. Is that what you call it? The truth, truth is, you've been through five husbands, haven't you? And, and the guy you're living with now, he's not your husband, is he? How's that working out for you? Don't miss what Jesus is doing here. Because he, he is very gently, I believe very lovingly, poking at her place of deepest shame. Because she didn't, she didn't get the living water thing, right? The satisfaction. And, and Jesus, I think what he's saying here is, lady, I know you. I've seen you. And I know the things that you run after. 
I know what you go to to, to quench, to satisfy, to make you feel, feel safe or secure or, or happy or satisfied or, or whatever it is, but I, I know it and still I'm offering you something better, a taste of, of something that will satisfy deeply. I mean, I love this. We can't miss this, right? Jesus, he, he runs after sinners. He loves sinners. He hangs out with sinners, but he never leaves us where we are. He never, he never leaves us to just sort of complacently wallow in our own lifestyle choices and mistakes. He always calls us out, which should make sense, right? Because if he is who he says he is, and he's made us, and he knows us like he knows this Samaritan woman, then he knows what's best for us, and he, he knows what we long for, and he's saying, I have what you need to fill you up. Take, he's saying to this rejected outcast, this discarded woman. And then she changes the subject. And Jesus is okay with that. He lets her change the subject. It's fine. Right? If you don't want to talk about that, it's cool. And she moves right from the uh, very personal, intimate details to a very important, but less personal theological question. Right? I don't know if she just feels the heat at the moment, or maybe she's just really curious because she knows this guy's a prophet. She says, Jesus, it's clear that you are, you are a prophet. And so she asks a question that just seems kind of weird to us, right? So far out of that culture. She, she says, so, I mean, prophet, tell me where we're supposed to worship, okay? Is it down in Jerusalem at the temple with you Jews, or is it up on the mountain here where the, our temple used to be for us who are Samaritans? Tell me, tell me where. And it seems out of place, right, for us, because right? we don't think about that. We don't think about the, the necessity of, of location in our, in our time of worship. But, but it's a question of, of longing for, for transcendence, right, for, for meaning, for, for knowing that, that God is real and more and that we can encounter him and that we can, we can meet with him and reach out with him. And, and Jesus, I love how he responds there, verse, verse 23. He says to her, the hour is coming. And is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, you're looking at him. That's me. You see, we all worship something, someone, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what you believe, what your background is. We all, we all build our lives on something, right? Something that tells us life is worth living, that it's, that it's meaningful, that we're significant. We, we are worshipers by design, and we'll worship anything. Money, sex, power, food, leisure, family, freedom, uh, our good works. I mean, you name it. And we can make a God out of it, right? And that should probably be our slogan as humans, right? Somewhere in the subtitle, human. Yeah, anyway. I thought it was funny, but that's us. It's part of who we are. We, we, our hearts are idle factories. And, and Jesus says to her, I'm the one that you've been waiting for. I am the one who replaces all of the old ways of approaching God. Everything that you've known about transcendence and worship and encountering the one who made you, it, it, it's... I'm, I, I'm the way. I am the one, he's saying. I love it. He says, and God has been seeking people just like you to worship him. 
just like her. You see, you can't write off who you listen to. I mean, it's easy to write off those people, whoever they are, who live over there or, or, or whatever it is, right? But real people with faces, names, stories, people that you, you've taken the time to engage with and actually understand and, and begin to put together why they make the choices. That you, I mean, even this, this woman, right? Why, why so many husbands? What's happened in her life? Think about, think about the heartache, the pain that she's gone through. Think about the questions she's asking or the, the things that happened in her, in her childhood that's brought her to that point or, or all of it, right? It's all there in her and we completely overlook it. Jesus knows all of it and we do the same thing in our, our, the other people we dismiss, right? We don't realize that people are a collection of stories, intimate stories and, and we're shaped and it, it hurts. But Jesus listens reality is sometimes as Christians, we're so quick to be heard, right? We love to be heard. Our side of the story, our argument, you know, the way we like things or the way we believe things or, you know, we, we love to be heard. And when, when we do, it's so easy to just push aside the, the, and hear, to actually listen to the, the needs, the questions, the hurts, the longings in the people around us. Francis Schaeffer he was a great evangelist of the last century. He said that if he had an hour to spend with people, it was always his goal to take 55 of those minutes just to listen and five minutes to talk. I love that. I think so often we do it the other way around, don't we? Now, listening, it doesn't, it doesn't mean leaving people where they are because Jesus certainly doesn't do that. But it does mean treating them like people, not like projects. And so who are you listening to? Don't, don't write off who Jesus runs after. And for Jesus and the Samaritan woman, this begins a revolution. Which sounds like a ridiculous exaggeration, right? I've finally gone too far, haven't I? Do you hear that? A revolution? Come on. It's a conversation. Big, big deal, right? But I, I'm not exaggerating. What happens here in this moment, in this story, and for John, it happening even so early on in, in Jesus' ministry is, is there, right? It's just chapter 4 of John. This sets the stage for what would be one of the defining characteristics of Christianity, for who Jesus is that sets him apart from any other faith tradition, any other God that we could possibly worship, that, that our God, Jesus, really, truly, actually is for everyone. For everyone. Hold that thought, though. Let's go back to the story for a second. Because we're at the tail end of the, of the conversation, right? They're kind of wrapping things up, Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And, and his disciples come back, right? They've got, they've got lunch for Jesus, you know, the little, little doggy bag or whatever. Uh, and they, they, they just don't know what to do. I mean, they picture them speechless, right? John even actually says, in, again, he's an eyewitness of these things, but they, they're speechless, they don't even have a category. But here is Jesus, their rabbi, the guy they think is the Messiah, talking to a Samaritan woman. They don't know what's going on. And John, he, he says that we, we marveled. That's the same word that John uses to describe the disciples' response to Jesus calming the sea. You following that? Same response. Big storm. Lots of waves. Jesus says, shh, and it's quiet. 
Same response to them coming there and seeing this conversation with this woman. That's, that's the radical nature of, of what's happening here. And so she, she at this point leaves. I don't know if she's feeling the awkwardness, right, because they're just all there with their mouths open and it's just weird. Or, or maybe, maybe the conversation had run its course. Or maybe she just she tasted this living water and couldn't wait to get back to her town to tell her people. I don't, I don't know why, but she, she leaves. And John tells us that she leaves behind her bucket which I think is, is significant, that John tells us that. I think symbolically he wants us to see that this, this signifies something new for her, that, that her, her old ways, her old thirst, her old paths to satisfaction are gone. She's done with them. She's had one taste of living water, and she will never be thirsty again. And so she, she goes to the people who had probably rejected her, who were probably ashamed of her, and tells them about this, this mysterious Jewish rabbi that she'd met, Filled to overflowing, the good news floods this little corner of Samaria. Living water gushing through. Look look what she says in verse 29. She says to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? The write-off becomes the first missionary. Come and see, she says. Come, come and see the person who, who knows, believe me, even the worst things about me. And yet offered me this, this, this gift. Come, come and see. And they do, which also kind of puzzles me because they probably didn't really care for this woman all that much. And yet they come, or at least a lot of them do. And, and the only thing I can think of that could make it, maybe, maybe they're just curious, right? They, they, maybe they didn't believe her. Maybe they thought she'd lost it, right? But there's this Jewish rabbi who would, who would engage her who would accept her, and so, and so they come. And meanwhile, I mean, the disciples back with Jesus, they're just trying to get Jesus to eat his lunch, right, so they can get out of town, right? They want to put this embarrassing episode behind them. But Jesus, he's, he's not hungry anymore. And he, and he tells them, you know what, I've, I've, I've had plenty of food. Uh, my food is to do God's work. And this here, right here, this place, this time, this moment, this is a buffet, and he tells them to, to, to look up, right? And, and coming down the hills, right? The, the, the Samaritans, are, they're coming to, to figure out who this guy is, to, to, to ask him questions. And, and look, look what Jesus says in verse 35. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And skip down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him. And he stayed there two days. Two days. He ate with them, slept in their beds. But the disciples were just loving that, right? And you just picture them like the entire time. They're just one big cringe, right? They, just, they don't know what to do. Doesn't that, isn't that, that's what Jesus does, isn't it? I mean, to those of us who follow him, who really take him seriously in his commands, he, he puts us in really uncomfortable places sometimes painful places, sometimes places that, that we would never possibly ever want to go ourselves, places that we would least expect. But look, at, look what happens when they do. Verse 41, and many more believe because of this word, because of his word. They said to the, the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. Not the Savior of Samaria, not the savior of Israel, savior of the world. I mean, this, this, 
This is the revolution, okay? Because before this, and we've, we've talked about this before, but before Jesus, people didn't hang out together, like mixing groups. It just didn't happen racially. Groups did not intermix. Religiously, certainly not. Background, I mean, none of that. People stayed in their own spot. And then when Jesus comes on the scene, truly, for the first time in history, none of those things mattered as much anymore. Men, women, young, old, rich, poor, slave, free, Jewish, Gentile, Samaritan, anybody and everybody began to gather together and worship over this this guy named Jesus. I mean, even today, if you think about it, Christianity is the only major faith tradition, I think probably the only faith, right, without a a home field. Think about that, right? I mean, if you were to say, what's the home field of Christianity, what would you pick? I mean, it started in the Middle East, I guess, but I mean, there are tens of millions of Christians here. There are uh, probably, you know, 100 million or so in in South America, a couple hundred million in Africa, several hundred million in in China and and Thailand and um, Japan, those, those areas there. And uh, what would you pick, right? There, there are literally uh, over a billion people who claim to follow Jesus on every continent. And yet for other religions, right, Islam still has Mecca. Hinduism still has India. Secularism still has the West. Only Jesus is truly, truly for everybody. But how did it happen? I think it happened in large part because you can't write off when you've been filled. You just can't do it anymore. I mean, Jesus was, was filled with God's work and, and knew that it must be shared. The woman now was, was filled with living water. She couldn't keep it to herself. And eventually, disciples, they, they'd catch on, right? It took them a little while. But eventually, they would, they would get there, and they would fuel this revela- revolution that has been going strong now for 2,000 years. Many of them, these same guys, would give their life because of this stuff. If Jesus has filled you up, how could you possibly dismiss another human being? How could we? I mean, Jesus could have written us off. Wouldn't have been that hard. But he didn't. He pursued us. He came to this earth. He died for us. He rose again for you. And if you have tasted living water, how can it not overflow? There's probably a lot of different ways that we could respond to this text to a story like this. For some of us, maybe for all of us, honestly, whether you're a Christian or not, maybe it begins even just, just with repentance. Because I think, I think we all do this. We all have our, our people or our person, right, that we, we just completely discard. Because we're arrogant, judgmental, self-righteous. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but I need to repent when I read a story like this. So maybe that's maybe for some of us that's where we, where we begin. For others, maybe maybe it's the listening thing, right? You see Jesus there listening, and you know how quick you are to speak, right? And and you you want to to, to help people, and yet you don't really know what's going on, right? You don't listen enough to know what the, what they're really asking, what they're really hurting, what they're really looking for. Maybe maybe we just need to listen more. Others, maybe there are people that you need to say, "Come and see," like this woman from Samaria. That you've, you've had that, come to that point, you have that relationship with them, and you can say to them, come and see the one who knows me better than I know myself, who knows everything about me and still loves me, and still accepts me. Maybe. Maybe it's going north and starting a new campus. 
And for some of you, that's, that's exactly it, all right? A lot of you here, I, I see some of you who've already said, yes, we're doing that. Maybe there's some others of you that you're, you're on the fence, you haven't decided yet. We, we actually, remember I made the joke about maybe you should move. It wasn't a joke. We've had several families say, yes, we're going to do that. We're going to relocate there so we can, we can develop a new harvest for what God is doing in Kansas City. That we get to be a part of. So maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe God would call you to be a part of something like that. And if, if you're not a Christian, uh, your response might be a little bit different. Um, maybe, maybe you need to ask yourself, have I written Jesus off? Or Christians? Or, or maybe even, have you, have you written yourself off? Might you be the one that Jesus is running after this morning? And, and so let me just mention one simple next step. I know I've thrown out a lot of options here of, of things that we can do, ways that we can respond. But let me just give one simple next step to narrow it down. Um, this week, take some time, whenever it is, take some time to, to look at the person or the people that you've been writing off. Whoever that is, maybe it's while you're, you know, moseying through Facebook. Uh, maybe it's on the playground, kids, or in class. Maybe it's across uh, from the cubicle of yours. Maybe you're watching the news. Wherever that happens to be, shopping at Walmart, um, make a mental note with each person that you see. Simply say something in your mind like, there, there is the image of God a person for whom Christ died, that he is running after. Just try that. I did that once in an airport. I had some time to kill, and I needed to, to burn off some energy. So I was just walking around, and I tried to look at as many people as I could, like really look. You know, I mean, not in a weird way, but um, <laughs> to look at them and to just simply say, there, there is the image of God. There is a glimpse of the God who made me, who loves me, who knows me, who, I, who I'd love to actually see. But there, when I look at that, there's a glimpse. And maybe the next thing to, to ask yourself with that, when you, when you do that, to say, this is a person that God made, might there be a role for you to play in their life? Might God have a role for you to play? I mean, do you know how Rosario became a Christian? The woman at the start, nothing fancy, you know. Yeah, nothing even really that exciting. In fact, it's, it's kind of boring. Simply that, that this older couple, Ken and Floyd, just ordinary people who love Jesus, people like many of us in here, just an ordinary person, couple, they refused to dismiss her. They just wouldn't do it. They wouldn't, they wouldn't write her off. And, and, and she was able to pick up on that, and she writes that, that we became friends. They entered my world. They met my friends. We did book exchanges. We talked openly about sexuality and politics, and they did not act as if such conversations were polluting them. When we ate together, Ken prayed in a way I'd never heard before. His prayers were intimate, vulnerable. He repented of his sin in front of me. He thanked God for all things. Ken's God was holy and firm, yet full of mercy. She began reading her Bible, attending church, and at the age of 36, kicking and screaming but rejoicing, she gave her life to the one running after her. And she, des- she describes the scene. Um, she says, I, w- I was a broken mess. Conversion was a train wreck. I did not want to lose everything that I loved, but the voice of God sang a sanguine love song in the rubble of my world. I weakly believe that if Jesus could conquer death, he could make right my world. Friends, don't write off who Jesus runs after. He's running after you.
Let's pray. God, I know that it's one thing to hear a story like this, to see how Jesus responds. It's another thing to actually love people enough, to actually get over myself enough and my own self-importance. So God, I pray that you'd forgive me. God, I pray that together we, we who are Christians, that we would, we would see our, our failure, our shortcomings, and that we would genuinely and honestly repent. God, that we would turn away, that I would turn away from the, 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 the way that I so quickly look down on others. I, just, I even remember just from this, this morning reading in my own just quiet time, God, um, there are a handful of things you hate, it says in Proverbs. The first one is haughty eyes. God, forgive me. God, we thank you that because of Jesus, because of of his death on our behalf, that you haven't written us off and that you forgive us even of these things. And so, God, we we put our dependence on you, our hope. And God, for those who don't know you here, God, I pray that they would just get a a glimpse of of you offering them this water, this satisfaction, this thing that I believe they're longing for, God. And now... Lord Jesus, as we come before you, help us to worship. Help us to to meet with you in ways maybe we haven't even experienced before to see you here in this place. For we love you. And again, we give our lives to you.